You're listening to The Cannabis Hangout, two girls, one bowl, and a podcast that is breaking the stigma of marijuana. My name is Brandon. And my name is Saba. We will be connecting with a community of cannabis enthusiasts by educating people, sharing stories from medical marijuana patients, and interviewing industry leaders while debunking cannabis myths. So we invite you to come roll with us while while we we break break it all down. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode. I'm Subba. And I'm Brandon. And we are your hosts of the Cannabis Hangout. You guys know we love hearing stories and perspectives from all sorts of unique people all around the world. Well, today we have the pleasure of speaking with a woman from California who is a cannabis lover, a cannabis grower, an entrepreneur, and an industry leader. We are super excited to pick her brain about her journey, her grow, and what makes her tick. So guys, calling us all the way from California, please welcome Sue with Ranchera Familia to the Cannabis Hangout. Hey, Sue. Hey, thank you so much for having me. You guys sound so cute. (laughs) So do you. (laughs) Thank you for just taking time out of your day to call in and um, just to share your story and insight with us. But let's just jump from the start from the beginning, Sue. Would you just please tell us where your cannabis journey first began? Yeah, so I'm originally from North Carolina. Um, I grew up on the coast over there. Uh, When I was 19, I moved out to the West Coast, California. Uh, I ended up backpacking through, like, Australia and Southeast Asia for, like, six months, came back to the U.S., and my family was like, what are you doing with yourself? You should probably go back to school. So I was like, you know, I guess I can. So I decided that Portland would be the place for me to go 10 years ago. Uh, so in 2012, that's where I had relocated to. Um, I enrolled back in at the community college. Um, and while I was there, I was, um, I was taking a lot of science classes and ended up becoming really good friends with a nursing major who had introduced me to uh, working with the plant as a way of therapy and um, for like uh, uh, addiction recovery. And so just really supported like me going through my own personal like pharmaceutical addiction and um, encouraging me to use the plant rather than, you know, take my, my, uh, like colada pins and any other upper downers, pretty much whatever I could get my hands on. And I had just like, I fell in love with it. And being down in Northern California, I just like, I fell in love with the agriculture aspect of it. I love getting any opportunity to work in the garden, pruning or watering, you know, any and every job I pretty much, you know, like took it because I wanted to learn all that I could. I was super fascinated with it. Like as a high schooler, you know, obviously toked and um, all that good stuff. And so, um, you know, just throughout the the years of the industry changing from medical to recreational um i ended up moving into working for recreational uh edible companies as well as recreational um cannabis farms in the state of oregon (laughs) and um i had the pleasures of working with uh christine from groom chocolate i was one of her original chocolatiers I worked for Mr. Moximus, Couch Potato, a uh, line that's won the best edible at the Dope Cup uh, back in like 2017 or 18, something like that. It's been years now. Um, but I honestly, I loved, I always loved the farming, like proponent of it. And so 
when I was working on my master's of science in public health administration, um, I just, you know, continued to watch the evolution of the industry. And while I positioned myself towards more of a consultant on a kitchen level from creating edibles to, uh, you know, uh, workplace workflow, ergonomics, uh, making sure that people were staying in the guidelines of, you know, food and safety regulations. And at that time, I, you know, hemp started to open up, like agriculture hemp became a really big, you know, player in the market back in 2000. And we had all of these different, you know, hemp farms popping up, hemp processors, distribution centers. And, you know, working alongside of those people, I saw the quality of hemp flower that they had. And as a medical patient myself, I just was really, you know, taken back by, is this what people are consuming? Like, I really felt absolutely disgusted by the level, like, by the very low quality of product where you're looking at, you know, things that are grown for industrial, you know, purposes that should be put into extracts or either should be put into, you know, other byproducts such as fiber. Um Whereas, you know, this flower was being promoted for uh, smokable use. And come here. Come on, baby. Thanks for sharing all that. It sounds like you've worn many hats and have a lot of different experience within this industry. So. Oh, yeah. I I try to sum it up to the best of my ability. Yeah. I'm like, there's so many little parts, but yeah. I'm just like, every time I tell it, I feel like I get to 
care about what resonates with me at that yeah. moment. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yes. And we'll dive deeper with some other good questions too. Um, but so yeah. cannabis is an ally and a tool for many people around the world. What would you say this plan has done for you and how do you feel like it has maybe helped shift your perspective? So, I mean, honestly, it helps ground me individually consuming it as, yeah, somebody that's, you know, very ADD and ADHD and kind of just like, like you said, I wear a lot of hats. It really helps me stay focused and keep a calm perspective so I can look at the bigger picture and make, you know, make conscious moves that are inclusive of, you know, all of the factors itself on a physical level of, you know, working and touching the plants, you know, it's super meditative, repetitive work that I do. Um, I feel like I take like a aromatic bath when I work with them. So it's like, I'm smelling all these terpenes from, you know, citrus to linalool. Um, you know, so it can be, you know, similar to people using essential oils. And so, um, within all of that, I feel like it really like encompasses this like whole full body spectrum of like the mind, body and soul. Yeah, definitely. That's a great way to put it. Thanks for sharing that. I always love to hear how people perceive, you know, their plants and their garden and how it heals, you know, heals them grows them they grow with their plants you know it's just so much to it and it's your perspective is beautiful so thank you for sharing it of course so being an adult and trying to figure out what you want to do and where you belong is a constant ongoing thought I feel like but some people kind of know from the beginning where their path lies or what they're into did you always know that you were maybe meant to be around plants or that you like loved being around plants or was that something that you figured out as you, you know, got in, like kind of slowly stepped into the industry? I think it was something that I always needed in my life. Um, I think that as somebody who is, I, from my, from my perspective of being a recovering addict, uh, and, you know, dealing with all the, the anxieties, the depression, um, you know, like the panic attacks that just come with being an adult in general and, you know, living through COVID, everything like that as of now. Um, I think it's super important for everybody to, um, to, to be with the plants and be with the land, um, you know, for different energetic purposes. Um, and so, like, for me... I don't think that it's something that when I was growing up, I thought, hey, this is what I want to do. I honestly thought I was going to forever stay on the confection side of it because when um, when I was in high school, my dream was, was to be a medical confectioner. I wanted just to, I wanted to open a bakery. I wanted to make cannabis baked goods, everything like that. And I never even crossed my mind that I wanted to do the agriculture side of things whatsoever. But I think that truly, like, in my heart and that, like, I'm like, how do I express it? Like, in my heart, I felt like it's what I always needed and I feel right at home with being. That's awesome. That is. I feel like that's not a a feeling that a lot of people get to experience in their lifetime, especially with their careers. Because I feel like, you know, we go to school our whole lives as kids to, like, grow up and, like, have careers as adults and then once we become adults our careers become like that thing that school was which consumed our life 
And I feel like not a lot of adults can say that they like love where they work and it, you know, they're just, it fuels their fire. And that's such a beautiful thing that you're able to say that. Yeah. I think that the, I think that like what life is all about is finding what like fuels your fire, like what sparks your passion, what, what fills your heart with calmness. And, you know, sometimes you have to go through all of these different other aspects of, you know, like of occupations and passions and everything like that to find, you know, I feel really, I feel very blessed with the opportunities that I have received, um, you know, to be able to have the skill set that I have and also have the, the family support now, have, you know, a big, huge friend support group, um, have the, the financial, you know, means to be able to do what I do. And I get that all of those things can kind of create barriers to people when they right. don't necessarily know what they want to do. So, yeah. I mean, I think that it's all about just like trying and listening to what, you know, listen to, listen to how you feel and how you respond with it. And that will lead you to the place that you're meant to be at. Yeah. As like cheesy as that sounds, I, I truly feel it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's and that's well actually said. a perfect transition to my next question, which is families important and we know not everyone's families are on board with cannabis. The stigma still stands with at least one one family member and I would say everyone's family. What's your experience been like with being in the cannabis industry and your family, especially with what you do as what you do for a living? Has it been a, ever been a problem? Yeah, so um, I come from a, like, my family is is Mexican, and um, on that side, uh, like, my mom's side of the family, like, my Mexican side, I'm I'm half German as well, and I'm Cherokee, and I'm Irish, um, so I'm a very eclectic mix, um, and when you think about, like, Hispanics and Latinos in general, you think of deep-rooted Catholicism, um, and when it comes to, you know, using any kind of mind-altering, you know, substance or anything like that, you know, it's, it's traditionally frowned upon on, you know, that religious level itself. Um, when we look into, you know, the background of my family, um, I've had aunts and uncles, uh, both three on, or one aunt and two of my uncles served prison time for, uh, for possession of marijuana, for trafficking marijuana, um, like, you know, all back through the 70s up into the 90s. Uh, and I even, my older brother um, spent years in prison for trafficking um, when I was in like 17, 18 years old. So like I didn't see my brother for like three years of my life because of that. And when I told my family that I was working in Northern California, I literally got a response of, I do not want to talk to you anymore until you change your ways. So for wow. years, like going off of that, my family didn't want contact with me because they thought that like, I was just like an awful person that I was, you know, using all these hard drugs and like, yeah, I, I was using hard drugs too, but I mean, the, like the plant itself is like what I truly felt that saved my life. So, it, you know, fast forward to the, to the switch in the industry from going medical to recreational to me getting a pay stub, paying federal taxes, et cetera. Even at that point, my family still wasn't thrilled with the idea that that's where I was choosing to, 
you know, spend my time. Right. And it wasn't until like a few years ago that like, I swear, I'm like, my mom said that she was proud of me and that she was actually, you know, using CBD for her pain ailments and all that kind of stuff. And now she has like her own little stash box. She has like nice. my little hemp cigarettes in it. She has uh, like her hemp lotions and all that, all that other kind of stuff in it as well. Um, and she will, you know, consume them. And it's like, it's pretty cute, you know, to me to see her do it now. Right. And there's no, uh, there's no moment ever where I want to reciprocate the judgment that somebody else gave me because I feel that like, regardless that they were, you know, completely anti-cannabis, anti-hemp, whatever. I'm like, the important thing to me now is, is that they do see it from an open perspective. Right. And for that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. I love that you're using it. Like, it's not like, oh my God, I can't believe that you didn't talk to me for years because you thought I was just some pothead. Yeah. Like, I'm over it. Like, I want to move on. We have you know, so many more beautiful things to do. And I think that the, the right idea of, you know, dismantling the stereotype is to, you know, is to, to, to lead by example and, you know, to, um, you know, show what it's worth through what you're doing in your life and the representation that you bring to the table. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I'm at with everything right now. I know that if I went home and saw my grandmother right now, she would probably tell me that I'd make her, I'm making her dizzy because it, when she'd see my eyes and they'd be all glazed over and red and everything like that, she'd tell me, oh, you make me dizzy. And I'd be like, how do I make you dizzy? Like, <laughs> am I physically hurting you? Right. Am I emotionally hurting you? Or am I disagreeing with your opinion that you believe cannabis is a bad drug? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So for sure. I I think that it's just like, you know, holding respect all around um, and, you know, being supportive and being, you know, being respectful to, you know, your family members as well. Setting up a new company can be difficult and confusing, but establishing a strong foundation with appropriate and necessary documents can help protect you in the long run. Yes, and with being business owners ourselves, Sob, we understand what it's like pretty well, I think. With BIC Legal, they practice in areas like family law, estate planning, business litigation, and review and draft contracts for your company while assisting in licensing applications, and so much more. And with the Oklahoma cannabis industry thriving, the rules and regulations related to cannabis are quite strict. Jade Pebworth with BIC Legal, she really enjoys working with companies from the ground up. So if you're looking for good legal help in Oklahoma, she's your girl. Let's get back to today's episode. Yeah, that's good. And that's cool that you're able to see it like that too, though. You know, because I know that some people would probably approach it in a different way, but it's cool that you're just like, Hey, I know it took you a while, but I'm happy where you're at. You know, I mean, cause you don't have to be here, but I'm glad you've been enlightened one way or the other. Yeah. Well, I definitely feel that like in like in general, you don't have to put down somebody else's opinion to get your opinion across. Right. You know, sure. sometimes, or you don't even have to share your opinion just to be right, you yes. know, you can, you can just be happy with the people that you're with at the time and realize that people have different points of, you know, right. views, just like some people like red apples and some people like green apples. 
It doesn't mean I'm going to tell you all the reasons why red apples suck just so you'll eat green apples. Right. That's probably not going to work. Yeah, it's right. not always a competition. Yes, for sure. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, so we've always loved visiting Grosu, and like one of our favorite things is to be consumed in a sea of cannabis babes. That we have so much appreciation for growers and all their hard work and energy that everyone puts into caring for them. Will you share with us like what your first harvest was like and like the things you felt and how it went? Any memories you have from doing that? My first harvest, so I started off with a 20 by 30 greenhouse. Um, that approximately held 50 plants in it. And um, I now have a farm that I have 800 plants total. It's 20 by 50 greenhouse, and we're about to build a 30 by 100 foot uh, greenhouse for uh, genetic genetic projects um, this winter time. So, um, yeah, so I started off, super, super small scale, like a ridiculously small garden where it's like, I probably got like three fourths of a pound, like per plant. I had a very, very limited amount of flour that I had. Um, I necessarily didn't have all the tools or anything. Like I took a very low budget of, you know, what I had saved up, which was $4,000. And that's what I put into my first grow ever was $4,000. I rented out a farm for a thousand dollars my license was like another thousand dollars uh you know building my i think i already had access to the greenhouse because i lived on a farm property um and i had one greenhouse that i had access to so um i pretty much just had to build the beds and buy the soil um and it was it's something that i think was it was like um how they have the names of like some of the like the leading founders like you know all started out in like a garage well that's basically how I feel with that greenhouse it's like that was my that was my variation of my garage yeah startup <laughs> that's cool that's a good thanks for sharing that's that. super cool I always love to hear what people's first like harvest or like first situation was like because it's so different from like obviously like, you grow and you evolve but just like even when I think back to like Brandon and I's first podcast setup, I'm just like, wow, we've evolved so much since that little, like we had blankets in Brandon's second bedroom surrounding us so that the sound wouldn't get out. Like it was so Jimmy rigged, but it worked. <laughs> I love that because I feel like that's like, that's the realness out of things. And especially like when you talk about companies that have investors and you talk about people that, you know, whether they have investors or maybe they come for money. You know, like mm-hmm, your parents right. could have money, your your husband could have money, your girlfriend, your wife could uh-huh, have money, yeah. whatever. But there's just like there's this like subtle like rawness to the people that I that that literally build it from scratch. Yes, you yes. know, and I think it's very like it, it's something to be very proud of and something that you know to recognize. Um, out of everybody and even like yourselves like of where you come from and what you're doing now yeah that's good yeah thank you yeah thanks for saying that Sue so we've gotten to know a lot of different styles and methods of growing but we know everyone does something different and unique to their own lifestyles and personalities can you tell us a little bit about how you grow and what you pride yourself on at your farm so we are a farm that um, you know, consciously grows in tandem with the land 
uh, animals and people. And what I mean by that is that we uh, continuously practice sustainable and regenerative farming techniques, as well as uh, native, um, you know, native farming um, or native growing styles. Um, whether it's from Korean natural farming or whether it's, you know, similar to using carrots, uh, uh, garden beds on our slope that we have, um, similar to, uh, what they do with the, like the Chileans did. Um, so it's something that like, when I think about the farm itself, I think about how we can use every bit of product that we have. You know, from the from using the the stalks of the plants to help, uh, you know, control, um, uh, like slope deteriorate, deterioration, um, or like soil erosion. Um, we have ghosts on our farm during the uh, off season. From the outdoor, we let the ghosts into the garden, so they're naturally fertilizing um, all of our garden beds. We have chickens, which act as a natural fertilizer as well. Um, we use our, um, our stock, uh, like we'll put it, we'll basically like chip it and we'll use it as bedding for our chickens and, um, our plants itself, you know, we only use like Omri and organic approved, uh, you know, um, compost teas and other amendments that we can add into it. We don't use any salts at our farm or any, you know, essentially, like, pre-bottled, like, nutrients. Like, everything itself is, like, things that we will make. Um, so sometimes we will do, like, a kelp in uh, fish meal, uh, foliar spray. Um, other times, you know, we can use our fruit trees for creating fermented plant juices. Um, as a hemp farm in general, um, you know, we kind of grow more towards a medical style. Um, meaning that, you know, we don't do the large industrial thousand acres. You know, we have a hundred plants that are all, are, all are in gopher caging with added soil into it. Um, all of our stuff is set up like on a, you know, um, has a drip line, everything like that. Our plants get, you know, additional love. We love to, you know, go out there and top them. We love to, um, defoliate and, you know, take off their excess leaves. Um, and everything like that. So we do a more hands-on approach than just the, the average farm that's out there. We don't just let it grow and then come back and harvest. We delicately, you know, watch as it blossoms, you know, throughout its various stages, um, you know, all up until its curing process to, you know, hand trimming the product to using sustainable packaging um, you know, all of these things are super important when, you know, we put the idea of, you know, being sustainable and being regenerative. And it's not just, you know, from the growing part of it, it's all up until when it gets into the hands of the consumer. Um, you know, what are we doing for, you know, what are we doing for our planet and what are we doing for our community is, you know, always um, some of my biggest thoughts that I have. That's cool. That is. And I've, I love that you guys are so much big, more big picture than you are just like about, I mean, of course it's about the plants, but you go so much deeper and so much further to think about like the environment and the effects, the long-term effects, which I feel like a lot of people don't think about long-term effects that 
you know, growing, I mean, granted you're growing in a different way than other people grow, but you know, even just like the long-term effects on the land that, you know, growing can have. And, um, I don't know, it's just cool to hear how big picture you are about it. And it's not, and it's more long-term thinking rather than just like here and now. Yeah, definitely. Like the focus is like on leaving the, like, it's like the phrase of like leaving the world a better place than when you came in or whatever. Yes, Sorry, yeah. I'm not good with phrases, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I really feel that way. Like I want to make sure that I am impacting the industry on a higher level, something that they can see that like, hey, this person, you know, they're making sure all of these, you know, they care about all of these factors because they want the best for the people that are consuming it at the end. Right. Yeah. And that's I think so important. Can, I can, I appreciate that yeah. just from our local farmers here in Oklahoma and the regenerative like living soil, whatever process it is that they use. We, I appreciate that a lot. So, Sue, on your Instagram, we obviously have to scroll through everyone's to see what they're about. Um, Your Instagram, your photos and videos, they always have so much character and they're so authentic. And I feel like they're so you, even though I don't like know, know you, you know, (laughs) but you're, are you always that cute when taking pictures of your plants? I just love your natural drive for creativity and you legit look really happy. Like, what do you love most about living on your farm in the mountains in California? (laughs) So honestly, like, okay, one, I love Instagram. I love social media just because it's like being a farmer. A lot of times we don't live necessarily close to other people. Yeah. And um, it's really like, it would be really, I mean, I guess I could find other things to do. I have been at moments in my life where I haven't had internet and I just am like there on a farm. But, um, I love the opportunity and it's like, it's taken me a really like, honestly, super, super long time because like for like Instagram, for instance, um, I felt that for years I wasn't necessarily like, I'm like, okay, this Instagram thing, like how do I use this? Like how, like not how do I use this, but like, how do I use this like to market to like my advantage? Yes. Yeah, to, like, you know, grow myself mm-hmm. and, like, grow my community and everything like that, um, as well as, like, what do, what am I showcasing? And I felt that, like, for a really long time, it was something that I didn't necessarily know how to feel organic about what I was posting mm-hmm. and about, the th- like, how I would post something about what I would share. And I felt like it it took me to being really comfortable with myself, Mm -hmm. like being comfortable with, you know, what I sound like, being comfortable with what I look like, you know, if I'm moving all over video, like, you know, what do I look like? Um, Being comfortable with showing myself as a female farmer in Mm -hmm. general, because there is such, you know, big judgments that's cast as a female farmer that... It's either like, okay, you have your women that will, you know, show skin. You'll have your women that will not show any skin. And then you have both of those people telling people how they should be a female grower. Yes. And honestly, it's one of the things that, like, it needs to stop. And I hope that other women that hear this understand the reason why it needs to stop. 
Um, because every woman is different. Every woman has her own power. Every woman is a goddess in her own nature. And when we're talking about supporting female farmers and you want to be respected as a female farmer, well, first it starts with respecting other female farmers. And similar to the way that men um, view female farmers as well. You know, I love the idea of showcasing my femininity. I love the idea of showcasing my Latino roots. Like, I'm like, I love wearing... I love rocking my acrylic 365 days a year. <laughs> I wear my red lipstick. I love uh, it. I know. love that. I have that spark in myself where I can I can resonate with like what you're saying. So I I just I love what you're doing. You're you're killing it, and you can tell you're super comfortable in your skin, and you're beautiful, and it it all it all works. Yeah, and I hope that like I hope that other women and can see. That it's okay to be comfortable. It's okay to show your skin. It's okay to not show your skin. It's okay to be authentically you because your tribe will come. You know, like your people will come to you. If they if they like how you dress and they want to dress like that too, yeah. maybe you just found a new friend. If you like somebody that covers up a little bit more, maybe you just found a new friend right there too. Yeah. But it's like understanding that like we can all succeed right. and that the definition of a female isn't singular. Yeah, I it's agree. All- Hell yeah. There's power in everything you just said. Yes. So, um, so spending time, you spend a lot of time with your plants. What do you, what do you enjoy most? Like whenever you're surrounded by them, like being in their presence. I enjoy the immediate like sense of calmness. Like when I was little, I would always like go run to like my, my grandparents shop space and I'd go hide up in the little attic up there. And I even did it when I was in high school. And then, you know, anytime I'd get in trouble or whatever, like I'd pretend like I was going to go run away and I'd go to my little shop space. Right. And so like, my garden is the same thing for me. My garden is my automatic retreat. My garden is the place that it's like, when I feel like things get tough, I'm just like the immediate thing. Like there's a few things that make me happy, like on the farm that like I will go to. And I'm like being in my canopy, laying in like my bed, like looking up at the plants, just being with them, smoking a joint with them. It's like, it's, it's like a, a warm blanket that's wrapped around me. I'm literally visualizing you doing this and I'm like, wow, that sounds so amazing. I want to come yeah. join you. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, I love to see minorities in cannabis because it's so rare, especially women. What's been the most fulfilling thing about what you what you do in creating this legacy for yourself? And what would your kid self say to your adult self now seeing everything you've accomplished and are continuing to accomplish? Oh, my gosh. So my kid self would probably say, like, I'm a total badass in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Hell> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I should have started doing this, like, sooner. Um, and uh, that, you know, I think that um, – what was the first part of that? <laughs> what's the What's been the most fulfilling thing about what you're doing and creating this legacy for yourself? Is to – be able to create something that involves the people that have helped supported me, you know, throughout mm-hmm. my journey itself. For instance, I have a topical partner and the way that I think of everything that I do in my business, I think of all the ways that the women that 
work alongside of me right now are able to enjoy the opportunities that I have that I can share with them. And so for me, it's like when I think about Rancheria Familia, like it's not just me. I'm like, it's my, you know, it's my mar- it's my marketing design partner, Lauren. And my like, she's my best friend, my work wife, like for her to be able to like, you know, my dream is like her to be able to like have her like full-time job with us. Yeah. Like my photographer, Lilo, you know, for to be able to say, Lilo, okay, you can quit your job as a social service worker and just do my photography full-time. So when I think about like my legacy, my legacy includes like, the ladies that are in my life and have made a super big impact on, you know, the, the growth of my business, the growth of myself and to be able to provide my, to be able to provide my family with these, you know, with a, with a future of lifelong opportunities of prosperity and happiness. And I feel like that's so important because yeah. all of that goes so full circle when full circle you take care of your people, then they're naturally going to take care of you. And if you have that kind of mindset, I feel like your team is so much stronger and healthier and works so much better. Yeah. I mean, like my, my dreams are to be able to, to be able to hire all of our friends that we had for them to be making really good money for them to be happy at their life and you know expand upon you know whatever their heart desires yeah and brandon and i really resonate with that because we talk about that all the time and how we hope to be able to do that we want to see everyone win yeah we love and and, who's helped us along the way so we talk about that so often how when we get put on we we want to be able to do the same thing and involve our people in our dream because they've helped us get to where we are you know Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think that I think that's like if people want to ask, like, what they can they do for their community immediately? I'm like, it's not donating to charity. <laughs> it's supporting the people that are right in front of you that have supported you. Yes, 100 percent. That's like I said, it goes so full circle hand in hand. So there's many stigmas surrounding cannabis and we're here to break them, obviously. What's a stigma you would like to see change surrounding this plant? For me, the stigma around when I think of something like that, I think that the current statistics on black, brown, and other minority groups only having farm ownership um, in the United States, not just for hemp, but for, you know, the agriculture industry in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of times, you know, the people want to encourage people to get out of doing lower level agriculture work as minorities and to go to college, to go be doctors, to go do all of that stuff. Um, And I think that personally, the stigma that's around farmers is that you're not necessarily as educated that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily make a, a lot of money. Um, Oh, there's, typically, you know, only white farm owners, you know, those kinds of things, or just farm owners in general be male. Mm -hmm. Um, When I see those kinds of stigmas of just like, who owns the farm, and, you know, who should be the farm owner, you know, Mm -hmm. etc. I think that um, 
personally, like, I'm really big on promoting a diverse and inclusive, um, you know, agriculture industry. And um, I want to see more farmers um, specifically go out of their way to help provide um, themselves as a resource, help, you know, break down barriers, help advocate, um, you know, for uh, Blacks, Indigenous, and people of color um, overall to take ownership um, in the agriculture's part, especially when the majority of the workers in the agriculture industry are Hispanic or are black. Yeah, I, you know, no one's, no one's, I feel like no one's said that on our podcast. And that's, that's a great point because that, I mean, all of those are correct. When people think of farmers, they don't think of all the other things that come with it. It's just what they've known and what's kind of been, what society's just kind of written, you know, in I don't know where, but it's just what people know and not what they need to know. So I think that's really important. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think that if I would have seen myself as like if if I would have had a representation of somebody like me that was farming when I was in high school, maybe I would have thought farming was cool. Yeah. You know, like there's tons of people out there that feel that this is, that the agriculture industry isn't the place for them because they don't have representation of people that look like them and have backgrounds similar to them. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with and that. And it becomes harder to want to do that or go that route mm-hmm. because it's very intimidating. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's well said, though. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Well, Sue, I think this wraps up our episode for today. We just want to thank you for taking time out of your day to call in and chat with us from Cali. And if you guys want to see what all the dope things that Sue is up to, you can go check her on IG. It's R-A-N-C-H-E-R-A-M-A-M-I on Instagram. Sue, thank you again so much. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Stay tuned to, for next week's episode. And as always, Bran, stay medicated. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.